Hello, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode 80 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hypnosis friends and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again, in my own highly biased opinion, I think we've reached the dizzy heights of a rapidly evolved podcast show lined up for you today. In a short while, I'll be sharing with you this week's interview with my guest, Howard Cooper. Then we'll have this week's hypnosis in the news stories, examining the media where hypnosis is featured. I'm going to offer up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis is portrayed in the media, but also comment on some of the content of those media stories. We then return with our professional discussion with my guest Howard Cooper. We'll be talking all things rapid change and about Howard's work using hypnotherapy and more as he goes about affecting positive results in rapid fashion. We'll round things off with this week's hypnosis evidence-based factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. As I say at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub and all of whom following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions along with related links are posted at each episode on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. Just hypnosisweekly with a hyphen in the middle.com. You can add your thoughts, comments and make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. If you enjoy this podcast, then please do give us a favourable rating. Even a review at iTunes, I'll be a BFF if you do. It only takes a couple of seconds, one or two clicks, just to give us a favourable rating. Um, um, and, 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 you know, put smiles on our faces here if you do that. And it helps us a lot. So... First of all today is this week's interview with Howard Cooper, this week's guest. Um, Now I first touched base with Howard quite a while back when he was starting setting up his own great podcast. And I have to say, I was impressed with his diligence. He was busy recording episodes months and months before they would actually go out on air. And his preparation was meticulous, quite unlike that uh, of my own here. And I was interviewed and featured on his Rapid Change podcast. And during that time, we talked a bit off air too. Mainly, I warmed to Howard. I really liked him because he did not mind when I laughed at the prospect of him having sleepless nights with the baby that him and his wife were expecting at the time. Uh, My kids are still young. And at that time, when when Howard and I were chatting, I, I, I typically delighted in hearing about anyone suffering more than me and my wife in the sleepless nights department. Um, You know, I I know, I know I have issues. I I, I had issues. I don't mind admitting it. Nonetheless, we got on well. Uh, We then met in real life last year at the UK Hypnosis Convention. In fact, the longest chat that we had uh, were actually in the men's toilets where I introduced him to Gary Turner. We all shook hands post hand wash, I hasten to add, and we chatted and so on. Um, It made a lot of sense to me that given this flourishing relationship involving uh, podcasts, shaking hands in public toilets and exchanging the odd Facebook comment every now and then, that I should use this flourishing, developed, hardcore friendship with him to invite him onto my own podcast. And he duly accepted. Uh, Him and I will talk rapid change later on in the show. But first, I interview Howard about all things hypnosis and him, his story and so on. So for now, get comfy, my friends. Turn up the volume. Sip on your tea. Enjoy this week's interview. So, as I've just been discussing, I'm delighted to welcome the one and only Mr. Howard Cooper. Howard, welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Thank you, Adam. It's great to be here. So, so let's let's learn a bit about you. Um, 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 tell us a bit about you know how you got into the field, what your background is, how you arrived at where you are now. You know these lofty heights. 
Well, as as I think we all have, we have varying origin stories, uh, and depending on who I'm speaking to, different stories and different themes come out. But um, I think a, a general thing that has uh, seems pertinent to this is when I was 17, I was actually diagnosed. Um, it sounds very serious already, doesn't it? Diagnosed <laughs> as having a, a severe panic attack and anxiety disorder. Mm. And I was uh, sent to my uh, GP. I'm from up north originally in Leeds. And they you know, took one look at me and said, oh, yes, it's uh, very, very serious indeed. You must go and see a psychotherapist. And uh, and a psychiatrist, and they put me on pills, and for three and a half years, week in, week out, I had therapy. Right. Three and, and a half years. Three and a half years, week in, week out. Well, Freud and... Freud would be proud of those numbers. Well, I, I mean, that would be rapid for Freud. <laughs> yeah, 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 good point. Arguably, you know. <laughs> um, but I, I remember, and I have to tell you, look, the, 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 I... Uh, I don't know how much of this is looking back and changing what happened based on what I know now, mm. because I think she was probably a, she was a very well in, uh, intentioned person trying to help. And it was a model of therapy that, that she had. But I do remember a particular session sort of fairly late on in the process. And she kind of said, well, you know, ask me a question. And I said, oh, is that why you think I am like I am? And she said, yeah. And now, you know. And I went, uh -huh. OK, well, now I know. <laughs> so what now? And she went, well, now, you know. And it struck me at that moment that there seemed to be a disparity between perhaps what our goals were, which is I wanted to feel better. Um, yeah. And it seemed more like I was on a an, uh, a journey of analysis and uh, of realizing this is why I am like I am rather than wanting to feel better. And it was at that point that I began to scout around other things. Uh, and look at other opportunities there were for being slightly more solution focused. Yeah. In terms of changing um, mm. my own uh, my own neurology, the way I was looking at things, and ended up on uh, it was an Anthony Robbins uh, weekend, mm -hmm. and it, it it blew me away, and I was totally juiced up on life <laughs> for a good long while after that, yeah. at least forty eight hours. <laughs> um, and yeah, just just felt incredible. But thought, you know what? How how can this be? No, I'd read it. I read Unlimited Power and discovered this was this thing called NLP, machine played hypnosis, and thought like, oh, and that, uh, and that seems you know what what I want to do because ultimately I hate the idea that there are people out there who are going for three and a half years, week in week out, when there may be some tools that can help people slightly more quickly than that and in a more direct fashion especially if you weren't necessarily interested in the analysis of it you just wanted to feel better yeah so that really put me on my journey of being uh, i guess very passionate about helping people because i'd been the person who was suffering for so long and it really was there was a time that my parents thought i couldn't take exams i was agoraphobic i couldn't leave the house mm. you know problematic but uh, yeah, I'm a very different person because certain um, look, I, I'm not going to tell you that the therapeutic three and a half years had no benefit. I think there was benefit in it. There was merit in it. But it certainly didn't seem like the most direct route to getting better. Sure, sure. So I'm guessing that that along with the the, the NLP training, um, 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 there was there, there was some some element of hypnosis, an element of hypnotherapy that you've kind of built upon. And I'm really interested to know, you know, where you're at as far as hypnosis is concerned, you know, how you define it, if you define it at all, and how you arrived at that definition, and, and how you explain hypnosis to, to, to clients and, and, and to people, you know, the kind of people that perhaps you get stuck in the corner um, um, of the kitchen at parties with. Um, and tell me a little bit about where you're at with hypnosis. Okay. I mean, I, th I think there's a, a number of uh, questions actually hidden in that one rather, rather long yeah. question. Because <laughs> um, for me, how I define hypnosis to, if I was discussing hypnosis with you, for example, versus how I would talk about it with a client or someone that's come to see me and they have no idea what it is, um, yeah. is going to vary to some degree. Yeah. And the other thing is that my definition of, of hypnosis is changing. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't go so, so far to say all the time. Um but I like the fact that it develops and my thoughts are always changing around it. Currently, where I'm at it is really as follows. For me, I think there is an aspect of this thing we call hypnosis, this process we call hypnosis, which revolves around creating a framework mm. 
or a context by which we help show someone how they can focus their mind mm. on a specific outcome in a way that bypasses conscious resistance. Mm, interesting. Or, or put slightly simple, simpler, it's creating a context where you show someone how they use their imagination to create a new reality. But for me, the context is important. Yeah. Um, and the emphasis that it's about showing them is also important because I think it's far more empowering as a message to someone than, hey, guess what? I'm going to wave my magic wand and fix you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the reasons why I, I stopped referring to myself as um, a rapid change therapist and hypnotist uh, and switched to rapid change consultant and hypnotist was because the, the phrase therapist implies, I think, a number of things. One, which is perhaps that they're broken, so they need therapy, in inverted commas, yeah. um, which... I, I didn't like the, the connotations of and B, that I'm going to do something to them. You go for a yeah. therapeutic treatment. You know, they're going to lie back and I wave my magic wands and just do the voodoo on them rather than a consultative approach where there's a collaboration. Uh, yeah. And I liked calling myself and referring a, to a consultant because they come in with an expectation of, hey, guess what? This is a two-way process right from the get-go without me having to explain it. Um, I think that's slightly different from how I would talk about hypnosis to um, – a client during a session mm. um, and for me I, I don't really get into what hypnosis is with a client I much prefer giving them I would say a very easy or a felt way of responding so I will talk about the fact that when you people can have physiological real responses to imagined stuff mm -hmm. for example and I will often do a thing where I'll draw in the air a blackboard yeah. And I'll just draw a rectangle and I'll say, for example, have you ever seen a blackboard? And I'll draw it out uh, and someone takes their nails and I'll take my hand out and sh mime it and I'll mime scratching on this pretend chalkboard. And nine times out of ten, they'll squirm. Yeah, yeah, as, as I just did while you were well, explaining. Well, there we go. And I'll say to them, well, hey, guess what? You know, right there and then I created a suggestion, you know, and you went inside because you imagined something happening and you had a real physiological response to that. Yeah. And for me, that's a beautiful description of you know, what we're playing with. And, you know, um, and I often certainly if, it, if it's someone that's got anxiety around something or panic around something, um, I'll often point out, which is, wouldn't it be how cool would it be if that real physiological feeling of anxiety that you have been having? What if it was just as uh, just uh, in relation to something that was just as real as this imaginary blackboard right here? Mm. Mm. Um, because it sows the seed right from the start that, hey, this is stuff that's going on in, in their head and it gives them a real felt experience of it. Uh, and for me, we can just piggyback off that, which is, hey, if we can harness that natural ability that, that you've got of responding in that way then, you know, we can get you get you to experience far, far more interesting things than squirming at an imaginary blackboard. Yeah. Is that something you'd be interested to explore? And I nod and they go, OK. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Great. Great. So um, I'm more of a more of a kind of experiential means of, of conceptualizing it. Um, um, I like that. I like that. So so so. Uh, what kind of influences have you had? Um, um, who, who are your major influences in these fields? Um, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about some of the books, some of the authors that have taught you most, some of the teachers that have been most influential upon you and some of the background and reasons why. And again, there's another question of eight questions. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. So I, I, I think right at the up front, um, a big influence was uh, Richard Bandler. Okay, yeah. And I, I went through a number of the trainings all the way through uh, from NLP practitioner to master prac to, to, to trainers training, mainly because I've been influenced heavily originally by uh, some of the books. And as I said earlier on, you know, I'd, I'd been on an Anthony Robbins course, I'd read Unlimited Power, discovered this thing called NLP, and then thought, well, hey, you know, who, who created that? Yeah. Um, and then I started reading the books. Um, so I read Transformations and Frogs into Princes as, as the first two books that I read. Uh, and I'll be really honest with you, the very first time um, I read Transformations, 
um, and thought about this thing of hypnosis, I was terrified of hypnosis. Mm. I mean, absolutely just terrified. I thought, wow, you know, what would it be like to go into a trance? And I don't know that I'm, I like control too much to be able to let myself go into that state. So, you know, I had a friend that went on some of these courses with me and he kept saying, oh, let me, he says, uh, you know, let, let me hypnotize you. And I said, no, no, you do the hypnosis stuff. I'll do the NLP, you know. Um, and I look back now and laugh because for me, they're so intertwined. Yeah. And hypnosis is happening kind of all the time for me anyway, that it's uh, I, I can remember that feeling of probably being one of those people for whom the misnomers of hypnosis were perpetuating mm. uh, and feeling that way. But um, going back to, to the question at hand, um, Richard Banner was a big influence, uh, transformations frogs into princes. Um, but then later on, and I think one of the pieces of advice that I have for, for anyone starting out certainly is to read wider than I did initially. I'll be honest, I was a bit of a banderite for, for too long, mm. uh, and someone uh, had to cure me of that uh, and explain to me he was ju he's just a man, Howard. He's, he's just a man, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, and then I started discovering the delights of other change workers that are out there. So obviously with the NLP background, um, Ericsson was always uh, up there, uh, and I read a lot of Ericsson and watched a lot of Ericsson in action. But then I really enjoyed discovering Dave Ellman mm -hmm. um, and just seeing uh, uh, what felt like a very different way of working. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed uh, all the, the cognitive hypnotherapy books by Trevor Sylvester mm -hmm. um, and just the precision of being able to tailor your suggestions very precisely and know what you're doing with those suggestions at each moment seems like a very worthwhile endeavor. Yeah. Um, and then I've seen similarities. I mean, I wouldn't say I take it quite as far as Jorgen, um, but I've enjoyed uh, seeing some of Jorgen's stuff in action, um, probably because I see a lot of myself in my early days in Jorgen when he yeah. talks, you know, um, I remember having a no win, uh, no, no win, no fee. That's not right at all. And no change, uh, yeah. no pay policy. Oh, right. You know, yeah. Uh, because, you know, I was a super confident that I could help anyone and uh, probably lacked the competence. Um, and also <laughs> was uh, integrity and ethics was very important to me. And I thought, well, how can I take their money if, if I haven't helped them? Yeah. Um, and I, 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 learned, I learned the hard way. And I think certainly I would uh, I think I would do things differently now if I, you know, if I could rewind to about 20 years. Yeah. I'd have yeah, a different absolutely. journey. But that's. Yeah benefit of hindsight hey yeah yeah absolutely absolutely i um i'm i'm, I'm guessing as well that um you know both both trevor and jürgen um have have at some points in their own careers had a sort of nlp-ish leaning and 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 big big influence from the field of nlp so probably probably sits quite neatly in with with a lot of your your, your sort of foundational um, um, approaches and so on. Um, um, and, and so w within these years, as you've, as you've developed, as you've gained your experience, um, 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 especially doing some of that, you know, really cutting your teeth in the way in which you've just been describing, tell me, um, Howard, what, what, what's one of, or, or some of the most impressive applications of hypnosis that you've, that you've directly witnessed? Um. There's a there's a couple that come to mind actually. One's one something that happened on me. Um, I was on one of these training courses. And they were talking about the magic of healing, mm. um, and I had I'd had a wart on my finger uh, for about two and a half years that I couldn't get rid of. Um, I tried to burn it off, and the flipping thing grew back. Yeah. Um, I I you know tried all these chemical things, and it did, didn't didn't work. Mm. And uh, I found myself, and it wasn't even me that was on a, a demo on as a demo subject, but they got someone up. And they were talking about the magic of healing, and the way the mind can heal. And I just remember looking at the uh, the wart on my finger, just thinking, wouldn't it be cool if that could happen to me for the wart? <laughs> yeah. And it was about five o'clock in the afternoon that I saw that uh, half an hour demo or whatever. Uh, and the next morning I woke up and it had gone. Brilliant. It had just gone and uh, it's never come back. And I also am careful who I tell that story to because a lot of people just go, bullshit. <laughs> That's just not true. Mm. It can't be like that, you know, mm. because they go, That's a physical thing. 
Yeah. And hypnosis is just for, you know, if you if you want to relax a little bit. It's not it's not I mean that's a real thing. Yeah. Um so I think that that was kind of cool and that was one of the things that convinced me yeah, I in mean, my that belief sounds, that something could happen. I, I love hearing I love hearing stuff like that because funnily enough there is a really impressive evidence base to support wart removal, um, um, as there is w w with a wide number of different skin issues. So I love hearing real life experiences of it. Um, I'm so, but sorry, I, I butted in. What was? Um, um, t carry on. <laughs> no, uh, I think the the other one that comes to, and there's so many, aren't there, that, that we see these amazing things happen mm. so often. Um, I remember dealing with a, a girl who came to see me. And it was probably the weirdest one because she came to see me and uh, I said, so, so, so what would you like help with? And she couldn't tell me because every time she tried to tell me her neck it, it would go into and her head would go into some kind of the only way I can describe it is kind of like a Tourette spasm, mm. like a, a weird tick. Mm. She couldn't even tell me. And the, the mother had to, to come in from from downstairs and, and say that she, she had an issue with needles mm. and injections. But every time she would even think about it or try to say the word, she would have this weird spasm. Oh, wow. So she couldn't even talk about it to be able to deal with it. Mm. Um, and the mother had told me that she nearly failed her maths GCSE because um, she'd say, if you know when they, they have these maths questions, when you're at GCSE level, they dress all the questions up. So they, they rather than just saying, you know, what's 30 plus 40, they go, you know, Bob has a fuel injection engine that's 30 gallons. And if it was... <laughs> So and because they dressed it up in that way and they'd used the word injection, she could she was sitting in the exam apparently sort of twitching and uh, spasming and she couldn't do that page or the page that was accompanying it because it was in sight. So she'd failed she'd failed her GCSE because she, there were like two whole pages that she just couldn't do. Yeah. And I thought, well, we, we've got to do something here because we can't even talk about what the issue is without yeah. having this response. And she seemed very responsive to, to, to hypnosis. And I, I didn't really do anything more clever, even if it is clever, I don't know, than um, we, we got arm catalepsy. And I simply gave her a suggestion that her hand would lower down only at the speed and rate that at some level, unconsciously, this response could, uh, in response to the word, could could be sorted. Mm. And she sat there for half an hour. I didn't say anything. It was the weirdest thing. She just sat and her hand slowly lowered down. And I kept wanting to say something. And I thought, no, 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 I mustn't. I'll just, I'll just let, let this happen at the speed and rate it needs to. And her hand touched her lap. And she opened her eyes and said, so what's the problem? And she went, well, it's needles, syringes and injections. And there was just no, and she, she went, oh, and she clasped her neck because she realized that this response hadn't happened. Yeah. And she ran out the room and she had to go and get her mum and said, mum, look. And she went, syringes, needles. <laughs> and, and there was no response. And the mum went, oh, that's just incredible. Brilliant. Um, and there's part of me. I mean, I, I have a background years and years ago as a, as a magician. Um, and one of the things uh, I, I often talk about was the fact that, you know, I think... I, I love the idea that magic can happen. And whilst on one hand, I, I, we can explain some of the theories around what's happening with this thing we call hypnosis, it feels more like real magic than the field of magic ever did. Right, yeah, 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 I get that. And that on the one hand, we can go, hey, guess what? You know, we, we, we did a pattern interrupt. And uh, neurologically speaking, you know, we, you know, we've got uh, Hebb's law and we've got this and we've got that that explains all of this. But on the other hand, you know, hey, guess what? You've had an interaction with someone and their brain's taken all that stuff and output it all in the most amazing way. And their life seems different. That's amazing. That's yeah. cool. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It really is. Now, um, uh, earlier on. You started. You started very kindly, very generously. Um, I'm dealing out advice. Dealing out advice to hypnotherapists of today. Is, isn't that outrageous of me? I, I know. Just, I know. I, disgusting I, behaviour. But if we could, you know, and, and so you're talking about you're talking about weed, reading more widely, um, for yeah. example. Um, so let me ask you the question. You know, if, if you could go back to when you started out. Um, um, mm. As a hypnotherapist or hypnosis professional, um, 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 knowing knowing the stuff that you did, that you know now, 
would you do anything differently? If so, what? And would you extend that advice to hypnotherapists of, of, of today that are listening here today? Um, the answer is I do a lot differently. And yes, I would probably extend all of that advice. Um, the advice being, if I'm honest, I, w- I would go back and go back and do uh, a, probably a longer, fuller, uh, more robust training. Mm in um, both hypnotherapy and NLP, where it takes its time to do things um, and really put in some of, I think, the groundwork that um, I've got, but it just took me longer because I was trying to do it so quickly that it actually took me longer to do. Right, yes. um, and I and I learned the hard way. If you go on a, a course that says, hey, guess what? You know, you can do it in eight days. Well, yeah. you can do something in eight days. But there's a there's a, 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 a an incredible shock when you're in, a, in an environment where you've been doing something for eight, nine days uh, and you're getting great results with the people that are on the course with you yeah. who know how they're supposed to react. And then the next day going into a session saying, hey, do this, do that. And they go, no, why? What? Yeah. And you go, oh, well, because we were told. So... <laughs> I, I, I just think there is a I, I definitely would have done that. I definitely would have read much more widely, not just within the field of uh, hypnosis from uh, lots of people, but also around the other field, other fields related to change and see what other people are doing and what other things are out there. Um, and I think I would have been much easier on myself in terms of expecting I, I put a lot of pressure on myself for me to get results with people rather than giving 100% of the responsibility of change to the other person. Mm. And it's a it's an incredible burden to bear. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, I, th- I think, you know, you, you, you and I spoke, um, you know, one of the things you spoke about really early on, you know, was about this idea of, of, of this being collaborative. And um, I'm, with a result of it being collaborative, it's it's, it's shared responsibility. I'm, I'm guessing, you know, it's not not wholly not wholly you, not wholly them. Yeah, I, I think there's you have a 100% responsibility to your expertise, your time, your knowledge to to guide them. Yeah. Um, you know, but ultimately they also have to run with that and uh, impart it themselves in fact it's funny it was recently when on my podcast i interviewed mike mandel and i, and I can't remember whether it was me talking with mike after the podcast or whether it was during it but he had a really nice uh, an interesting way of looking at it which really resonated with me which was you know people have these self-made labyrinths in their mind and sometimes what they want from a hypnotist is uh, you know them to just you know you, you, you take them out you move them somewhere else so they're free mm. and actually that's not our job that you know our job should be to give them the right shield and to arm them and to shine a light on the path they can follow. Mm. But they still have to go and do it. Mm. Mm. Nice one. Uh, and that, that, that appealed to me and, and pretty much sort of summed up the way I, I think about what the client uh, change worker relationship should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now then, um, Howard, we are going to talk all things rapid change in a short while. Um, for now, anybody that's tuning in, where can people go to learn more about you, your work, your approach, and so on. Well, the the, the the best place to find all the stuff that is a hub of all things rapid change and certainly is developing as we speak is uh, the rapidchange.works uh, website. That's www.rapidchange.works. Rapidchange.works. Mm-hmm. There will be a link to that website over at the Hypnosis Weekly website, um, this, this this episode's page. Um, um, and we will be back with Howard Cooper in just a couple of minutes' time. So, on to this week's Hypnosis in the News. Uh, this week, I'm citing three stories that have featured in the media in the recent weeks. Uh, the first story is entitled, Tubby NHS staff are using hypnosis therapy in new trial to lose weight. And this is uh, a story to feature in the Sun uh, uh, the uh, the notorious Sun tabloid newspaper here in the UK. And I'm mentioning this story because 
the headline actually made me laugh and made me cross at the same time. Firstly, the, the initial headline is actually preceded with the words, look thin to my eyes. Look thin to my eyes. <laughs> well done, the sun. That's what they came up with. Um, um, secondly, though, I find it a little demeaning to refer to people as tubby, as, as they did with the title. Uh, it feels a bit like fat shaming to me, and evidence suggests that that's not effective. And I believe doctors and nurses of the NHS, our marvellous free NHS here in the UK, deserve much more respect. They are awesome. They do awesome jobs. Anyway, so this is a story whereby doctors and nurses are participating in a trial which aims to retrain the brain in a bid to encourage healthy eating. Um, and so uh, NHS workers, they're being put in a trance by hypnotherapists, apparently, in a trial to lose weight. And they're listening to nine minute tapes. I don't think they're tapes. I think they are, are, are audio downloads of a different kind. Tapes are what people used to use back in the 70s and the 80s, the sun. Um, and they're using these uh, these audio tracks for 12 weeks. Um uh, which, which which have suggestions in there such as eat less sugary food. And apparently scores of doctors and nurses and other hospital staff at the time of this publication were halfway through this 12-week trial of this um, slimming approach. And um, um, apparently, and according to the statistics shared in this article, over 700,000 doctors, nurses and other UK health staff are overweight. Um, now, the creator of the SlimPod app that's being used in this trial is Sandra Roycroft Davis. And she states in the article, it is a pilot, but if it works, they hope to roll it out. Uh, in hospitals across the NHS. The programme contains specific messages that prompt people to notice the healthier choices and nudge them away from unhealthy foods. Basically, people lose interest in sugar. People don't even realise they are being healthy. That's the key. Um, um, you know, I would have thought that, that you'd want them to realise that they're being healthy. Um, um, but perhaps I'm just being a bit of a pedant there. Anyway, Tam Fry from the National Obesity Forum has said... This really is mind over matter. The NHS are right to look at this kind of innovative technology. And if it works, they should certainly roll it out across the health service. Mm. Now, at the end of the article, the sun went and made me laugh again because they have a pink box with the title, How It Works. You know, like this sort of factual boxes they have at the end saying how it works. And it says the following. Its creators say it involves a mixture of unconscious persuasion, neuroscience, modern psychology and neurolinguistic programming. Or, in simple terms, it uses a combination of upbeat messages and healthy nudges to retrain the brain. <laughs> I love the fact that the Sun put it in in simple terms. The Sun translating jargon there for its listeners. Um, and in this particular instance, I rather like it. Um, um, you know... Regardless, regardless um, of, of anything else, I think it's wonderful that Sandra Roycroft Davis is doing this um, and, and, and has found her way into there. Um, um, and it can only be good for the field as far as I'm concerned. Um, um, nice, nice work. So um, second story today um, is entitled Stephanie Davis having sessions with celebrity hypnotist in a bid to get her life back on track following messy split from Jeremy McConnell. So, first of all, I can't help thinking, who? Uh, you know, I'm going to expose myself a little bit here in that I have no idea who Stephanie Davis is or her boyfriend, Jeremy McConnell. There, I said it. Um, I'm, I'm one of those people, I have a bit of a disliking for celebrity culture. And, you know, I probably better shut up now as I'm sounding like such a fuddy-duddy. Um, I also recognise that simply using the words fuddy-duddy does make you one. Anyway, she's worked with uh, Stephanie Davis. Uh, um, apparently, she's a Hollyoaks actress. Um, she's worked with a celebrity hypnotist. I'm not going to mention a man's name because I've never heard of him. So by celebrity hypnotist, I'm guessing that he has this moniker because he's worked with a couple of members of the TOWIE cast, which the article states, uh, for those not aware, TOWIE stands for The Only Way is Essex. There you go. I know some stuff. Um, um, so maybe, maybe just the fact that he's worked with these people um, is the reason they're calling him celebrity hypnotist um, and they're not suggesting that he himself is a celebrity though given my knowledge of who is a celebrity and who isn't I may be wrong so you know feel free to write me a strongly worded letter and tell me if so anyway I started reading this article and, and that was it 
the story is that. Is that she's seeking help, nothing else. There are no details, just celebrity mentions, and that's it. Uh, and I kind of thinking, you know, how is this news? Um, um, and it does beg, a, you know, beg the question, why on earth is Adam mentioning it? Well, I think, you know, I just wanted to, to, to mention the fact that this is the stuff that, uh, uh, that paints the, the popular uh, perception of the field of hypnosis. Um, so let's press on to our final story, which is all about a celebrity or rather a, a former celebrity who I am actually aware of. Um, and the reason I'm aware of her is because each year since we've been together, my wife has made me watch her favourite TV show um, with this week's uh, with, with, with the star of this particular story in it. And this TV show is Strictly Come Dancing and the title of the the um, article featuring on the BT webpage is Strictly Come Dancing's Camilla Dallarup or Camilla Sacra Dallarup on quitting Strictly for Stillness. So this is the story that uh, back in 2014, uh, the professional dancer Camilla Dallarup um, quit not only Strictly, but the UK too. She upped sticks with her husband, Kevin Sacra, to L.A., and she forged a new career as a hypnotherapist, a life and mindful coach and a motivational speaker. Now, the 41 year old, I love the fact that they have to tell you how old someone is in, uh, in, in these kind of stories. So now the 41 year old is back in the UK to share how she reinvented her life in her new book, Reinvent Me. And it's an eight step motivational program to help people change their lives. Now, what I like about this is that she is helping others to do that which she herself has done. You know, she she chose this field um, and chose this this lifestyle and is making it work for her. And, and I have to doff my cap for that because, you know, typically a lot of people really struggle to make um, um, commercial success within the, the hypnotherapy field. Um, you know, she, she did have a certain degree of celebrity already, uh, was well known already. So I think, you know, she had a head start. But nonetheless, I think it's worth seeing and exploring how she's making her business in the hypnotherapy field a commercial success. Um, you know, I, th I think it's worthwhile all of us going and paying some attention to that and looking at some of the structures and some of the activities. Um, in the article, she talks about using hypnosis and self-hypnosis and the benefits of visualizing success, all stuff which um, um, is grounded uh, um, in good evidence. She's free of the kind of jargon um, from from some of the, the, the previous articles and um, free from a lot of the myth and misconception and fantastical notions. Um, and all in all, she gets a thumbs up from me. You know, um, um, I recognise that she probably lives for my approval, but I, th I think and I say good luck going forward, Camilla. Um, that's it for this week's Hypnosis in the News. Links to all of these stories given over at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. Next up, we have this week's professional discussion, and I welcome back my um, guest, Howard Cooper. You may recall me talking about and even slightly criticising hypnotherapists, offering up a one-technique-fits-all, fast, rapid, super-speedy approach with seemingly crazy anecdotal claims being made by those selling the techniques and so on. Uh, frothing at the mouth in general a, a couple of episodes ago. Well, when that was published on my blog, um, Howard was pretty quick to jump in and qualify what he meant um, um, by rapid change on the blog. Uh, he made some incredibly valid and useful points on the subject. Um, it made sense, I think, that him and I discuss uh, this central theme in Howard's work and also how he draws upon some major experiences and roles he's held as he's developed this approach. So here is this week's professional discussion with Howard Cooper all about rapid change. Enjoy. So, as I've just been discussing, I'm back now with this week's guest, Howard Cooper, and we are talking rapid change today. Um, the name of Howard's business, Rapid Change, the name of his podcast, Rapid Change Podcast. Um, I'm, I'm, First of all, then, um, um, welcome back, Howard. What, 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 tell us, what do we mean when we talk about rapid change? What is that? What do we mean? Give us some, give us some idea, first of all. Okay. So for me, rapid change is about going after change 
for the client as quick as it can be done. What it is not, though, is it's not instant change or I'm going to click my fingers in two seconds and create change, regardless of, you know, whether they like it or not. I will do it. Um, it, It's for me railing against something that I kept noticing. Mm. Which is so, and I don't say this, especially with the, the demographic of your listeners, Adam, that when I first started working therapeutically with people, I'm going to admit to something, which is I rang a bunch of hypnotherapists and pretended I had a fear of flying. Because I was, I know, I know, <laughs> because I wanted to see what the charging structures were and I wanted to see what people said about change and how they would go about, go about it. And um, there was something that, that alarmed me a little bit, which is there was uh, five or six out of the ten who said to me something along the lines of we use uh, uh, the ten session approach yeah. or we use the seven session approach, you know, and they each had slightly different protocols. And I remember saying whenever they said that kind of stuff to me, I'd go, well, what if I'm OK after two? And they'd go, well, you won't be. Mm. And I thought, well, that's certainly a great suggestion. Um, and they're probably right. I probably wouldn't be after two if I went to see them. But I just thought, you know what, there's something slightly askew here, which is I, I don't like that idea that we set out with a preset idea of how long something should be before the client's in front of us. You know, especially when I've seen examples where people have made very quick changes very rapidly. Now, what it what I'm not about is I don't believe that there is one uh, turnkey approach, one protocol that we just run repeatedly, regardless of the issue that's going to f- sort someone out. I think that's also um, a, a very dark side of the connotations of rapid change, one that I'm acutely mm. aware of. Um, uh, and I think, if I'm honest, there are also some – crack it's turning into the dark side of rapid change here. <laughs> but um, – but no, I think it's 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 very good to to think through, you know, the connotations of, of you know what you're communicating. Um, one of which is is that I think you also have to be careful if you do rapid change work to manage someone's expectations, so that if let's say they don't get a result after one session, they don't go away and go, oh, well, crikey, I went to a rapid change guy, and he helps a lot of people in one session, and I couldn't be helped, so therefore I'm screwed. I just can't be helped. Because I think there are there are problems with that as well. So there is this balance, I think, in terms of what I'm on about, which is I want to rail against these preset notions of having a huge amount of sessions, you know, regardless of meeting the client, yeah. but also opening up the person to the possibility that it could happen. And the age old stories that people tell themselves of, hey, guess what? I don't know that I can be helped because I've had this problem for 40 years. Therefore, it's going to at least be 17 years, week in, week out of therapy, is also not valid. It's also not necessarily, there's not truth that there. It's just the script or the story they've been telling themselves. And these ideas of thinking of problems as very deep and deep-rooted yeah. um, also aren't helpful to facilitate change. So, you know, the idea that you can sit in a session and guess what? We're going we're gonna to see where it goes. We're going to play together and, and see what we can do here. Um, but I'm open to the possibility that it could change for this person yeah 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 i get that um tell me a little bit you know just just contextualize this a little bit i mean obviously during the interview we talked a little bit about you know how how your development in this changed um um, how you how your how your interest in this field developed um um but but do you think that it's down to some of the experience that you spoke about in the in the interview you know having spent a long time in you know in a talk therapy yourself um without you know without deriving the kind of change or the kind of goal that you are after um that that, that piqued your interest in this or uh, there've been some other reasons that that has developed your interest in in the the notion of rapid change it's a it's a great question and i think there are there are two things that happened to me one is as i've said um my own personal background um uh, events of having severe anxiety panic attack disorder and having to spend three and a half years in therapy yeah. certainly made me passionate about people getting help quicker than that yeah um the second thing that happened to me and i, I, I as you know adam i've got to be very careful about how i talk about this um <laughs> but I, I i was spotted by um someone in the media 
they wanted to make uh, a TV show because they'd come across some of the work that I do, yeah. um, where you know uh, they'd come across a number of people who I'd worked with who had come with you know phobias lasting you know forty years plus severe issues that had been sorted out ostensibly gone with lasting change in one session. Yeah. And they'd come across this stuff that I did, and they thought it would make a very interesting show. Uh, for the TV, um, so they actually it, it got funded uh, in terms of making a, a pilot, and they fixed me up with some people to work with, and they wanted to film you know the results of of these sessions. Uh, they wanted to film uh, the sessions themselves and film how they were before. Um, yeah. And and what I will tell you is this: there was a a guy who um, obviously mentioning no names, um, but he nearly drowned when he was five. Right. And couldn't get any water, had uh, terrible panic attacks at the thought of it. Apparently, um, before I'd arrived, they, they, they'd watched him freak out at the, by the side of a pool. They said, listen, if you can get him to touch the water, mm. that would be just amazing. That would be an unbelievable change. He's had years of therapy, nothing's helping him and so on. So now I'm I'm sitting here and I'm surrounded by HD cameras. I've got a room full of, you know, directors and producers and this person and that person, you know, and I'm even my heart's going. I'm thinking, crikey. Oof. Okay. <laughs> it's not normally like this in my clinic. Um, and he comes in and I said, so what's going on? And he, he tells me, you know, and I just I saw there was something about the way he spoke about this. And I thought this is someone who's going to respond really well. And it's going to be fairly swift. And they were ready. They, they, they'd all uh, had all the cameras out and they'd just spent an hour and a half, two and a half hours setting up. Yeah. Uh, and in theory, we were going to film for two hours. And after 20 minutes, I said, well, hey, guess what? I, I, think, he's, I think he's all right. Mm. I think he's done. And they said, well, he can't be. And I said, well, no, no, I think, I think he is. And so we had to change all the rigging. And we, we went outside and we went and tested it out. And he didn't just touch the water. He went into the pool. He went under the water. Uh, and the only problem was is all the all the uh, the director starts screaming, going, "No, stop! We've got to get the GoPro cameras <laughs> so that they could film the underwater shots." Now I was totally over the moon. They're all patting me on the back, and uh, you know, uh, high praise indeed. And I'm thinking, because look, I, I'll be honest, I don't get a hundred percent success rate. So you know, you're there and you've got cameras around. You know, I was I was pleased with this moment. I was thinking, you know, luck was also on my side. That you know, it was this this I got this guy that was so responsive and. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy at this moment. And about a month later, um, and I'd worked with some other people as part of the, the pilot as well. But a month later, they send me the footage that's they're going to that's going to go out. Yeah. With a little covering note, and they said just to let you know, we've we've cut out the waterphobic entirely. He doesn't appear. And I, I got in touch with them and said, well, what do you mean? Why? And here was the sentence that that flipped something in my head that that made me rather angry. Uh, they went because. Real change, Howard, doesn't happen that quickly. <laughs> Real change doesn't happen that quickly. And I thought, what? They saw it. Mm. Uh, and when I spoke to them in a little more detail, they, they pointed out that, you know, the network, if they're trying to pitch this, is it's going to lack credibility, isn't it? going to lack credibility because i'll just think he was uh, making it up, you know, that he's, he's walked in. Because they said he walked in, he went, I'm terrified, you went whatever it is you did and then he went in the pool i mean it was easy it can't really have been that bad or it lacked credibility there's no jeopardy and so on and so forth so um but at that moment i just thought isn't that isn't that frightening that people can see with their own eyes a change happen and still come out with a sentence like real change doesn't happen that quickly mm. um and i think it was it was that and my personal experience of having three and a half years that really uh, was for me that little nudge I needed to go, you know what, I've got to start putting stuff out there, information out there, which starts showing people that rapid change can happen. It's what I'm seeing and have seen for over 15 years doing my private one-on-one -on -one work. Um, and and more people need to have that belief that it, it can happen. And not that, hey, guess what, it's an instant click your fingers and it happens every single time. But that we're open to the possibility that it could. And if you're still working, you know, with a, a 10 session protocol, well, what happens if they could do it quicker than that? You know, yeah. it's just it, it, I, I get curious about it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I really appreciate that. And, and 
t tell me a little bit then, because you know how did how did that 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 thought process that experience that you had and um, um, how did that influence what you then went on to become quite well known for with with dealing with with fear of flying. Um, 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 obviously you've got some experience which which you can share and talk a little bit about you know whilst you were working with virgin atlantic um um but but how you know how did the rapid change or or or, or, or did the rapid change um um sort of understanding and desire that you had for it um start to influence the stuff that you did with fear of flying well, the, the funny thing is, is that I think it was the other way around. I think I'd, I'd been getting great results and seeing people change very rapidly in all areas. Um, right. Fear of flying being one of them. Yeah. Um, I, and I, I'm happy to tell the listeners a little bit about my, my, my experience with Virgin Atlantic on their Flying Without Fear course as well. Um, but it was because I was seeing it so regularly, this kind of change, that um, I, I've always seen myself as a rapid change worker. Um, and that's where I got spotted by the, the media. Um, so for me, it was the change work that I've been doing. It, I know it sounds silly, but uh, one of the things that I said earlier in terms of advice is that, you know, I would probably, you know, do a robust training, which which I still stand by. The benefit and one of the only benefits that I've had from the route that I went down, which is really, you know, doing lots of, I would say, shorter, more intensive courses and then going out and just getting stuck in hands on. Yeah. And then learning was that um, I didn't have anyone initially to tell me that I couldn't do stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. So, you know, there was no I, I just thought, well, why, why can't I do that? Why, why not? No, no, one, no, I don't hear anyone telling me I can't do that. Well, maybe it's possible. So I'll just have a go. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I learned a lot about what's possible because I didn't know it wasn't possible. Yeah. So for me, you know, I just thought, well, why can't people change? You know, people change all the time anyway, yeah. even without therapy. People wake up one day and they go, I mean, I hear it all the time. You know, people do a lot of work with stopping smoking, but I hear it all the time. They go, I didn't need a hypnotherapist to stop smoking. They went, I woke up one day and I just stopped. <laughs> yeah. They tell me this all the time. And yeah. I think, well, yeah. that's great. Rapid change is normal. Yeah. People have these moments where change happens. You know, I mean... Things don't stay the same. Thank goodness change happens. Otherwise, I'd still be in nappies. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like change is something that we, we know we're certain of. So uh, it felt very normal to me that, that, that change happens. And I think I, I ended up as the, um, for about two years, as the lead presenter with Virgin Atlantic, on Virgin Atlantic's Flying Without Fear course. Yeah. So uh, once a month I had the, the privilege, and it was indeed a privilege of, spending um you know a day with 100 phobic flyers at a time or phobic mm. to anxious flyers uh standing in a room and, and i they they'd give me two two hours to speak uh, my job was to teach them patterns around uh, and techniques and things they could do in their own mind to get good uh to change the way they were thinking about flying mm. um however the caveat is is that i was not allowed to use the word hypnosis or right. hypnotherapy Right. Um, and one of the reasons, interestingly, um, they said was, if you think about the demographic of the people that go on a Virgin Atlantic Flying Without Fear course, um, a lot of the time it's because they've tried other stuff and it hasn't worked. Right. So there's a lot of people who have been to hyp hypnotherapists on that, didn't work, and then they do this thing where they go, they generalize and they say, well, hypnosis doesn't work. Right. Okay. So you've got an audience of people who have tried lots of stuff previously, didn't yeah. work, and you don't want to be uh, pigeonholed in that same way. It's one of the other reasons why, why I started calling myself a rapid change uh, consultant um, rather than hypnotherapist, because they just couldn't know what that meant. Yeah. You know, they couldn't have preconceived ideas around it, you know, yeah. which meant that I could do what I wanted to do without them thinking, well, I tried that and it didn't work. Um, so it was a way of differentiating uh, as well. But, you know, for me on on the course, it was a very, very, very good uh, learning ground for having to get good at getting very quick results and doing a lot of pattern interrupts yeah, because you can't do tailored 
a therapeutic intervention with 100 people in two hours, right? What you can do is you can give a bunch of stuff yeah. that's likely to work with the majority of people more often than not if they take responsibility for putting that stuff into practice, Yeah. right? Um, which meant that inevitably you're going to get on the plane with these people because that's what, how it worked. You'd get on the plane at the end of the day after they'd also heard from a pilot and cabin crew um, and some people weren't ready yet, <laughs> but guess what? The doors are still being closed uh, and they can't get off. And so if anyone is uh, freaking out or not coping physically well, um, it was my job. They'd sort of send me in and they'd go, Howard, quick, third row back. You've got to go over there. Uh, and you'd have someone inevitably not in a session in a calm room, you know, thinking about the possibility of flying at some point in the future. And are they ready yet? No, no, they're on a plane right now and they're freaking out and they're going, get me off right now. And you can't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I, I, yeah I, I find that fascinating. Um, um, a, a lot of the a lot of the interest. Do, were you given were you given sort of your own creative license to, to create the program then yeah uh certainly um for my my, my two hour slot um I, I was given creative freedom it's to do what you want to do and the, and look they, they they tried me out you know um yeah. an opportunity came up they tried me out they gave me a go one time and I, as i came off the very first time of doing it uh i remember one of the uh the co-founders said to me howard what are you doing every weekend for the next however long because <laughs> uh, it, it went well you know and the feedback yeah. was great and yeah, um, the, resu the results were really really cool but again it's it, it's not tailored one-on-one -on -one work and i think there are you know limitations to it although there is an amazing aspect of it which is hey guess what you know it, a lot of things with fear of flying is that they they think that they're the only one yeah. They feel like they're the only person with this. And why Why do I have it? Everyone else can fly. I'm broken. And it's really interesting seeing a room full of 100 people in a room together who all think that they're the only one. Yeah. yeah. You know, they look around going, but, but how? What? I didn't realize there'd be so many people here. You know, um, so there's very there's something therapeutic, very therapeutic about you know, being in the same, uh, I was going to say same boat, but that's the wrong vehicle. Um, yeah, being in the, the same uh being in the same plane as everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet. I bet. You, you know, when, <coughs> I, when I when I asked you to come on come on the podcast, um, and I said to you, you know, what, what what kind of things can we discuss? What kind of things can we discuss? And one of the things um, you you mentioned, um, you, you know, we, we started tossing around and exploring this idea of rapid change. And one of the things you wrote was um, 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 whether it whether whether the topic should be exploring rapid change and you wrote and the belief that change really can be quick now one of the things that really interests me and 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 and, and has interested me that the more we've spoken and the, the more i've got to know you your approach and and so on is 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 the, the use of the word belief there you know the the belief that change can be quick is something that quite clearly you have you're 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 well invested in you know personally and you know is is you, you must believe it because it's the name of your business you know it makes sense that you believe that do you think that 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 being beholden of that belief accelerates um what you do and 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 and, and advances and makes things more rapid i think it 100 percent does yeah um, I think expectation is an, an incredibly powerful tool. You know, originally you asked me, you know, what, what, how did I define hypnosis? And I talked about this idea that, you know, it's, it's about creating a framework or a context for change. Yeah. I think one of the contexts that's very powerful is the belief of the practitioner. Um, you know, it's funny because I, th I think there are different contexts by which hypnosis happens very naturally anyway. Yeah. Um, so, for example, you know, I've often spoken to people in the past about what I would call an authority trance, um, which is not just hypnotists doing it, but there's a framework or a context which supports you taking and allowing suggestions inside in a way that bypasses conscious resistance just from the fact that you put someone on a, a pedestal of authority. 
Mm. And I, I had this at school. I remember my maths teacher looking over my shoulder as I was doing a sum and I was getting it totally and utterly wrong. And he looked over and he went, mm-hmm. And I went, uh, what? And he went, mm-hmm. Tell me, Cooper. Because that's how he spoke back then. <laughs> Tell me, Cooper. He said, are you good at English? And I said, well, I, yeah, I, I am quite good at English. Yeah, I, I do all right in English. And he went, mm-hmm. That explains it. And I said, Ex- explains what? He said, well, in 40 years of teaching, I have come to the conclusion that one can either be good at maths or good at English, but rarely both. And I thought to myself, well, I'm good at English, therefore I must be bad at maths, which is ironic because I'd worked that out using mathematical logic. <laughs> um, but of course, I, I then told myself that I wasn't very good at maths. And for me, that has all the hallmarks of a post-hypnotic suggestion. You know, he, I went into a context by which that was the case. The other times that I think, uh, you know, we, we see it is, is congruence. If someone's very congruent about something. Yeah. Uh, versus someone who is not as congruent, yeah. you know, um, I think it, it tends to be borne out. It's interesting when I when I did some training with um, some more direct uh, hypnotists because I wanted to see, you know, I'd, I'd been quite Ericksonian up until a point. One of the things that I really took away was someone said, "Well, to, to the, the the guy that was doing the training, um, I'm trying to remember what they, they said. So it was something along the lines of, you know, don't you ever worry that someone won't go into a trance." And he said, listen, I've hypnotized over 77,000 people in my life. Why successfully, why would the next one be any different? Mm. And I just thought, even if that's, whether or not that's true is besides the point. Um, I love that idea that that's how they saw it. Yeah. That power of expectation. And for me, there is real power in expectation, you know. So if I go in with, a, with the belief that, guess what, change is possible, and I am more congruent about that belief than they are about the congru- – than they are congruent in their belief that they're screwed and can't be helped. Yeah. Then, you know, for me, hypnosis is Absolutely. happening, and they, they can get drawn into that and sucked in, into that uh, too because I, I know hypnosis is happening in every session I do. I just try and make sure it's that way around and not me that's hypnotized into thinking they can't be helped because I listen to their script about what they tell themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, um, I'm, I, I, I'm there with so much of that. I really, really enjoyed um, I'm hearing you know hearing you communicate those um these these themes um um um, just as a reminder anybody i I mean heck howard i could just go on talking and asking you about this stuff um um, we're 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 flat out of time so um um, for anybody listening interested in learning more about howard more about rapid change and going and listening to his podcast um um go visit www.rapidchange.works learn a bit more about him and what he does all that remains for me to say howard cooper thank you thank you um for being uh this week's guest on the hypnosis weekly podcast absolute pleasure and it was absolutely fantastic to be here with you I really enjoyed that. Thanks to Howard. Um, so finally this week, on to our evidence-based hypnosis factoid of the week. And it's this. Um, and that is that having reread uh, Hypnosis and Suggestibility, an experimental approach, um, um, again recently, uh, this is uh, by Clark Hull, um, written way back in 1933, um, I thought I'd share with you a conclusion that he arrived at within that work, within that body of um, scientific um, exploration. And it's this quote. No phenomenon whatever can be produced in hypnosis that cannot be produced to lesser degrees by suggestions given in the normal waking condition. The essence of hypnosis lies in the fact of change in suggestibility. So, this is pretty much the start of the end for state theorists, to be quite honest, and th- th- those people that think that hypnosis is an altered state, um, um, at-, at least during the kind of theory wars of the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s in particular. 
Later on in the 1960s, in fact, Ernest Hilgard and Andre Weitzenhofer, when they developed the Stanford Hypnotic Susceptibility Scales, which became central to a lot of research on suggestibility over the years, Funnily enough, Hilgard initially believed in hypnosis being an altered state and was greatly interested in how people responded to hypnosis as an altered state. However, working with the scales over the years and within much research, it became known that all phenomenon that individuals were tested for within the Stanford scale tests could be achieved without hypnosis. Therefore, hypnosis could not necessarily always be guaranteed as the means by which they were produced. Yet, Clark Hull had already covered this back in 1933. At the time, he also stated that when a formal hypnotic induction was used to hypnotise individuals, the increase in the level of suggestibility was actually negligible, and certainly far less than people would expect. And this was supported by Barber in the 1960s, where he showed again that suggestions for altered experience and behaviour were just as effectively produced by non-hypnotic instructions. So um, um, I think this this observation, this fabulously forward-thinking quote, you know, if you ever want to really know who slayed hypnosis inductions, then look back to the 1930s and look no further than Clark Hall. You know, so yes, indeed, there you have it. Clark Hall, the man who slayed hypnosis inductions. Um, um, a link to the quote and the details that are included um, um, within that quote on this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. That's it for this week's 80th edition. I do have many more exciting guests that I'll be welcoming to Hypnosis Weekly in coming weeks too. We'll be discussing, debating, celebrating and above all remaining friends. Next week I welcome as my guest Gary Coles and we'll be discussing hypno-oncology, a fascinating subject matter. I think you'll really enjoy that. All the references made in the discussions along with related links are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions, so do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website and I'll make sure they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else and really help us reach the hypnosis field. My thanks again to Howard Cooper. Thanks to you for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now. (music) 